As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Man, did this dude just did this? With the 20th pick in the 2016 NBA Draft, the Indiana Pacers select Karis LeVert from the University of Michigan. The problem is you don't want to mess with a bat because, as you may know, they can be ratted. So there goes our test after somebody in the stands. And he is going after a fan, and he is waylaying a fan, and this thing is now getting ugly. Got them all? Justin Holiday has come in all three. Do we have them all? He did first time in NBA history. that three brothers on the floor at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Born Ready to Pod podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Born Ready to Pod podcast. My name's Chris. I got Hawk here, and then the biggest hater, rent-free son of a bitch in the house. Coach Light is with us here today. What up? Hawk, are you going to address the people? What do the people want to hear? Is this about the Colts situation and how Jake is just constantly trolling? <laughs> no, I'm. listen, I want this out there super early in the podcast. I might troll a little bit, but the important thing, the important thing is later on, I'm going to give some honest feedback on a couple of these guys. I actually was a little bit impressed with Eason. I'll explain why later. I am going to say that I'm just Tiger Woods gif. I'm pumped up. I'm seeing, I just need them to be healthy. Pretty much. I just need to be right about, and I'm going to be right about Carson Wentz. He's terrible. You guys are going to run him out of town so fast, but I need, I need it to all be healthy. That way somebody can, uh, say I told you so when it's uh, when you know you're just not a very good team I mean that's just all it is but that's okay tell we'll us what you that. like about Eason let's get into that because he just said you let's let's hear what you have to say nice okay so really c- coming into it you guys know I do I have like this quarterback metric I've done a done it for a few years and I actually sold it to somebody for like three thousand dollars it's actually pretty cool which is you know whatever but um, I really like decent coming out and I like decent coming out because I thought that he had, he had some completion percentage issues. He had some accuracy issues, but he had the big arm. He had the pedigree. He was a, a five-star recruit. Um, he just fell on some hard times at Georgia. He ended up moving. I mean, he had fields coming in behind him, Jake Fromm coming in. It was very, very, very difficult. So I think when, when Eason came out and the Colts drafted him, I thought it was a perfect match because they want to drive the ball down the field with their quarterback. But with that being said, I had some serious questions about his pocket presence, and I thought he actually looks semi-good in the first preseason game. I don't give a shit, not one shit iota about what they say about practice. It just It's not the same. I was actually impressed with Eason in the way he stepped up in the pocket to make some big throws. I think it was very apparent and obvious that when he dropped back in those games and clearly the left tackle was awful uh, for the Colts and there was pressure all around him. He actually stepped into his throws 
And guys like Eason coming out would usually step out and rely on their arm strength. And I thought he drove the ball with his legs a lot better than I, I thought he would. So I'm being honest. I am a Carson Wentz hater. I, I, I wasn't until I watched him play the Browns last year. The Browns played the worst game of the year against the Eagles. And literally they won the game because Carson Wentz was the opposing quarterback. The worst held the ball, terrible decision-making, scared feet. I mean, it was just terrible. And so I actually think Eason has a chance to start at some point this year, even if Carson Wentz is healthy, because that's how low I think of Carson Wentz. Listen, in my eyes, Carson Wentz hasn't proven shit until he does anything. And by all the rumors we're hearing now is they're more likely to start him week one than we originally thought. So hopefully he does and we find out quickly. You know, hopefully he can stay healthy one. And if he sucks healthy, then, yeah, what Eason just showed you, if he puts that on tape two more games, then – by all means, I think that's that's the way you go because he's only on a two-year deal, Wentz, and hell, maybe you can trade him for something else if it has to. But I think they're going to give him a long leash. I really do, just because he's Reich's guy. And here's the thing. I think the, what, what's important is what Eason does well is exactly what the Colts quarterback needs to do well. You do not need the Colts, you know, and I know you're going to scoff at this a little bit, but they're built so similarly. They need a guy like Baker just in the simple fact that he can fit the ball into tight windows and he spreads the ball out. And he's every team needs that. That's just well, not done. Well, I'm saying, but what I'm saying is he can do it. He can do it in 18 to 24 throws. Like he doesn't need the ball in his hands. He just needs to be able to make the throw with accuracy. And I think Eason has that ability way more so than I thought coming out, if that makes sense. Whereas I think Carson Wentz is a guy that he's, he's shown in the past where he needs to warm up in games. He needs to like he needs to hit a few slants before he starts driving the ball down the field. And I just don't think that that's necessary in the Colts offense. I think we, you know, I make fun of spending money at the guard position and spending money at the linebacker position, but that they did that for a reason. Like they're building up front to be a nasty, strong team with, with their front seven on defense and then offensively with the offensive line, they need Jonathan Taylor to, to really just smash it down people's throats. And the guy that drives the ball down the field, better than anybody on the roster right now is Jacob Eason. And it will be that way even when Carson Wentz comes back. I'm telling you. Chris, I don't know what you heard there, but I heard a couple of wheeze and it sounded like almost if you close your eyes, you could hear a Colts fan talking. <laughs> I don't know what you think about that. Absolutely not. I'm still, That's... listen, here's the thing. It, here's what you got to remember. And a, and a guy like Chris, you got to be a little objective. Okay. Got to yeah. be a little objective and say what, you, say what, what the truth is. If Deshaun Watson is playing football this year, which I I, I kind of doubt it. But if he is, the Colts have the worst quarterback situation in, in the AFC South. I mean, that is no doubt about it. Um, of course, if it's Tyrod Taylor, I would, you know, I'd probably, you know, take Wentz over Taylor given, given the team around him. But, I mean, Easton has a much higher ceiling than Wentz at this point in his career. And I think you just go for it. I think, I think I've, I've been banging on Ballard. If I was Ballard, what I would have done is I would have taken that one pick packaged it with the picks he you know a pick or two that he traded with Wentz and try to go up and get Mac Jones because Mac Jones is perfect for that offense too that's what I would have done but you know neither here nor there were uh, you know that that's where we're at you have the worst quarterback situation in the AFC South if Deshaun Watson can keep you know the masseuse's hands out of his ass I mean to be honest with you all right I feel like that's enough cold stock now yeah I think we're good I'm ready to move on what are we moving on to next it's got to be summer league action, three games. One got canceled by COVID and the play of, I think, three guys particular, 
Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, and Dwayne Washington Jr. As even though he was inconsistent, just the fact that he had that one game, you know, I think he was eight for nine. That really encouraged me a lot. So those are the three guys that I was impressed by. Yeah, so Washington Jr., he's on a two-way deal. So he'll be playing back and forth between the NBA and the G League this year. The former Ohio State Buckeye, remember they lost that game to Oral Roberts in the tournament. Can't forget about that. Um, So, yeah, those three very much impressed me. Uh, They came out with the first and second teams today. None of those guys were on those teams. So were you a little shocked by that? I mean, considering they probably played a few less games than other guys. But I feel like Duarte should have been, you know, one of the top 10 guys for sure the way he played. I think he averages like 18 points a game in the summer league. Yeah, credit to us. The co-MVPs was Davian Mitchell and Logan Thomas. So, I mean, we we drilled those guys last podcast about how – you know, effective they could be, and, and they really balled out. So credit to us. I'll, I'll start off by saying, and when I watched Duarte and I watched his highlights and I watched the games he played, you know, he's got the clutch factor. I mean, age is his number one knock. We can't deny that. He should be playing aggressively. He should be making open jumpers. He's older than all these guys on the court, and and he did that. He did that well. Honestly, you know, I've been, I didn't want to say this, but he reminded me a little Reggie. Anybody else get that? Played a little in the summer league like Reggie. Did anybody get that? I I mean, I get what you're saying. I wouldn't go that far, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. And then with Isaiah Jackson, I mean, what he does, he does well. He's Montrez Harrell-esque. He's active around the rim. He had seven blocks tied to summer league, you know, high for every, any game in a summer league. So that was impressive. Um, he's not really what we need. But then you can't even really say that because, you know, he's so young and 19. He's he's a guy that in next summer league, we might be like, holy cow, this guy is incredible. You know, he might not get a lot of opportunities, but I think he should just from what I saw. I think those guys, two in particular, you can put in as role players next year. And that's to me, we talked about this. It's it might be Pritchard's best draft already. I can't wait to hear this. Jake. Yeah, I told you guys on the, the group chat that I had a that I had my opinions and I, nothing was going to change them. And so I think it's important to say the good, the good first. And uh, I, I would say, obviously, watching that, you'd have to be an absolute idiot to say there's more bad than good. I was very impressed with both guys. I think the age, and I know I made a thousand jokes on draft night about the age. They actually – they actually got quite a bit of traction. So it made me feel good. Cause usually when I bitch and make fun of shit, people just kind of tune it out. So it made me feel good. I needed that, but Duarte did exactly what Duarte should have done. He is a 24 year old in the D league. He should have been a 20 point score. And he was, he was around 18. That's exactly what he should have done. He should have taken the team over. And I applaud him for that. Was it all perfect? No, but I believe he shot around 46. Uh, 45, 40, something like 48% from three. I mean, that is very, very, very encouraging. And he, he was looking to get a shot. And that is, that's such a key in the NBA there. All of these guys come in with pedigree, but it's like, it's a lack of confidence. It's a lack of know-how it's a lack to know how to get to your spot. And every guy has spots on the floor. They want to get you to pull up, you know, pull up with a jump shot or a floater or, you know, catch and shoot three, whatever it is. And Duarte did that. 
and I applaud him. And I do think he's going to be Pritchard's best draft pick ever. And I, and I think that for a multitude of reasons, but number one, mostly because of how terrible Pritchard draft picks have been. Um, but I think Duarte can be, to me, when I watch him, I think this year, best case scenario, it sounds stupid, but I think he, he needs to be this year what we thought Jeremy Lamb would be when we signed him initially, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think he's the guy that you can play in crunch time, uh, but he's kind of the guy you want to lead your second unit. I mean, in scoring and, and you want the ball in his hands, you want him to be able to develop. And I, and I know, you know, without getting too far into the two-center system, he his game does not – he's another guy that needs the ball in his hand for penetration. He needs lanes. So he – I would keep him away from the two centers. I would play him in that second unit. I'd let him grow. And then when it's time for us to make those trades and open it up and, you know, see what these young guys have, I think he's perfect for that. Absolutely perfect. I don't like that. He's already 24. He's already older. I thought when I watched him initially, I thought, okay, uh, he, he could be, you know, Mitchell Donovan Mitchell, but he's literally already older than Donovan Mitchell. Like he's already hit that. Like Mitchell has more, he's, he's got more potential. So that's okay. But when I watch him, I kind of see this is a weird, super weird comparison. Like, he reminds me of, like, a J.R. Smith that's, like, a better, like, driver and getting your own shot. The way he catches fire, the way he plays with confidence, and I'm not saying that's, like, his, his, his height. When I watch him, I think, okay, if, if J.R. Smith can put the ball on the floor a little better, that's what he reminds me of. Just the sheer confidence, willingness to shoot it. And when he, when he catches fire, when he hits the first one, he's going to hit like two or three before he misses one. That's my opinion of Duarte. But I know Chris loves Duarte. So before I talk about Jackson, I want Chris uh, to kind of have a chance here to respond. I mean, he's got the clutch gene. He made, what, three buzzer beaters? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that's a you know big plus there. I don't care. Who you're playing against, you know, playing against 16-year-old kids, 30-year-old men, 50-year-old men. If you're making those big clutch shots when the uh, clock's ticking down, uh, you know, pretty huge. It's, a, it's like a saying I got. You want to hear that saying, Hawk? Yeah. Can you score two points in the final seconds just as easy as you scored 20 points in the first three quarters? That's it whatever quarters you know what i'm saying yeah that's brilliant brilliant just made that up so he was able to do that three times i mean that was huge and and uh yeah i loved what i saw from him um you know i uh i envision him eventually being a starter on this team i do i think he's gonna be a starter uh one of the big guys is gonna have to go but I think he's eventually going to be a starter. Uh, not this year, but I think probably in the next two or three years, he'll definitely be in the starting lineup. That's all I got to say. Yeah, if you had to rate the Pacers offseason right now, draft picks considered, I mean, would you, you wouldn't get close to the A's. I know Jake wouldn't because we still have the two centers on the roster, but what about in the B, C range? What are we thinking? I would say uh, – definitely a C range and right now currently I'm outside and there's a dump truck right next to me so if you hear a very loud noise at nine o'clock is that your wife you're talking about no definitely not her <laughs> back in the bed dump truck cook 
uh, way too late for a dump truck, in my opinion. So this is going to be fun because they just bought this barn right next to me. Um, I'm very excited about that. But anyways, uh, continue on with whatever we were talking about. All right, Hawk. He gave a C. I'm going to actually give this a D plus. Um, and uh, again, not going to mention the two centers that obviously had a super negative effect, but um, we added Tory Craig, a 30 year old journeyman. That's not super sexy here. And we added a 24 year old rookie who we, I think we all agree six man probably this year with the potential to be a starter. Um, you know, but because of the two centers, it caps him uh, because we have Jeremy Lamb still on the roster because we have TJ uh, Warren on the roster. I mean, those are guys that play a, a game in minutes that I think I'd like Duarte to have. Uh, I do like Jackson, who we'll talk about again here shortly. But I just when you say that we just added Duarte, pretty much just Duarte into the into the you know mix here while simultaneously losing our best shooter and we were one of the worst shooting teams in the league already and then now you're paying mcconnell you know two and a half times more than you were paying him i mean i just don't think the roster got that much better that's fair i actually don't think the roster is better i think that you know mcdermott spreads the floor i would rather have duarte than mcdermott so that's not what i'm saying i'm saying the loss of your best shooter when you're not a good shooting team is a major detriment considering now spacing will be worse than ever and let's let's go ahead and talk about what you like about jackson then because i mean he i believe he may at least made one three that i saw on his highlight reel so i don't know if he made more than that but is he a guy what did you like about him seeing him i loved him i loved him and i actually you know I kind of expected Duarte. I told you that. And I think I even said it in the group chat, maybe that I expected Duarte to really show that he could score. And it didn't surprise me that he, well, he did what he did. I was surprised with Jackson because the first game, I was actually super impressed with him the first game and he did nothing. He absolutely did nothing stat wise. If you go back and look at the stats, you're going to be like, did this guy even watch the game? Yes, I watched the game. He, he changed the game with his hustle. He changed the game on the defensive end multiple times. Guy can go up and block a shot. He is a perfect situational player that will be in the rotation or should be in the rotation within the next year and a half. I, I don't think he'll start off in the rotation this year, but here's why the pro sports is such a situational game. Now, everything is situational. There are situational running backs on the goal line. There are situational uh, slot receivers. There are situational quarterbacks. Even there's situational pinch hitters, left-handed relievers. Uh, and in basketball, that you're starting to see a situational defensive player, a situational shooter that can come in and space the floor in big time minutes. He can literally change the game with his rim protection. And he is much better on switching and pick and rolls, at least from what I saw. Obviously, the, the talent level is down in the summer league. But from what I saw, he's a much better switch pick and roll player than Turner or Sabonis. So situationally, this guy can be used. I think he could slide in and be used right now on a playoff team, a lower end playoff team, but I think he could, I don't think he's going to play big minutes, but I think he's the type of guy that because he has hustle energy, he kind of reminds me of initial Deandre Jordan when he came in the league. Yeah, That's exactly what it is when Deandre Jordan was the skinny little dude from Texas A&M. And he had to make his way and build his way in. That's exactly what I think, except I don't think he'll grow out with his shoulders as much. 
and become just a straight up post guy. I think he'll be kind of a tweener on the offensive end, which is actually good. I don't know that he'll ever be a starter, but I think he can give you situationally what we would lose internal and Turner in big situations. You know, you keep Turner because you want to protect the paint in a big spot. I, Jackson could do that. And so that's what I think of him. And I was really impressed with him too. I'm going to say two things before we let Chris talk about Jackson in five years. He will be younger than Duarte is now. So just think about that. And I can't remember the second point. So go ahead, Chris. Um, I was going to say, you know, defensively, it seems like, you know, he can guard multiple positions as well, which is definitely a plus because, you know, rolling out that two center lineup that we love to roll out, you have Sabonis often guarding the four, and that's just as often a recipe for disaster. So you got another guy that you can throw in there who, you know, is a big guy. You know, technically they say he's a power forward, but I mean, really, he's a he really plays center and, you know, the NBA that is today. So um, I think he can, you know, you know, if they decided, oh, I want to throw, you know, this guy in there with Sabonis, you know, I don't think, I think they could be able to make something like that work, like in the ro- rotation wise, if they wanted to play, you know, two guys like them at the same time. Um, I think that would work a lot better than, you know, obviously, you know, those two bigs than like Turner and Sabonis at the same time. Um, because I think he could probably defend better on the wing than Miles can. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely like what I saw. Definitely a lot of potential there. Is he going to get a lot of minutes under Rick Carlisle this season, who is known not to play rookies a lot um, or unproven rookies? He doesn't really like to to throw them in the rotation. Duarte is going to be an exception because of his age, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I liked what I saw. Um, and, uh, I think he's, you know, my next question is, I mean, you know, you got all this depth at these positions, you got all these wing players, Jeremy lamb certainly is going to be offloaded here at some point. You would have to expect it. Maybe they'll have to attach a pick to do it, but this guy's got to, and i feel like, you know, <clears throat> he's got to play if he, you know, can translate this to, you know, actual NBA games against NBA level competition. I mean, if you're looking at a backup, for sure, it would seem like he would replace Goga in minutes, right? Yeah, it, I mean, that's a whole other situation with Goga about how he didn't even show up. And we don't have to get into all that because who knows the real reason. But, um, yeah, from what I saw, I mean, Goga still could be a unique guy. If he takes a leap like he did from his first to second year, second to third year, I think maybe he could be a piece, but you know he's he's missing. Oh, don't don't bullshit, Hawk! Don't bullshit! Don't pander. He's I'm not pandering. I'm saying that he's missing out on a lot of minutes <laughs> and opportunities, and that's like he's fucking himself. Like, yeah, Goga he's not getting any better. We know what he is. Goga is an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment to the Indiana Pacers organization. He's an embarrassment to all the Gogas out there in the world. I'm sure there's tens of them. I mean. Here's the thing, and I don't know why he was out for personal reasons. Here's what I do know. Every year in the summer league, something's popped up. It's the boy who cried wolf. It's every single year, dude. You could have been the guy this year. You could have played with Chris Duarte. You could have played alongside Jackson. You could have done all of those things and proved that you could be a a good center on a team, you know, that's trying to get you involved. And what I'm telling you is, is I hope – I. 
What'd you say? I said he can't do it. He just he simply can't cannot. And he doesn't want to. I mean, if I somebody had said, well, his dad passed away. I have not seen anything like that. So if that's the case, I do apologize. But what I have seen is pictures of him out in the wild saying how beautiful shit is and him hiking and stuff like that. If it's a mental health problem, whatever. Here's what I, I mean, I just don't, he has not played meaningful summer league minutes. Like on a, he needs to, he's not good enough not to be getting those minutes. It's an opportunity to be the guy on a team. We have to see if he can be the guy on the team. More than anything, I want to see if he can be a center and have a guy like Jackson be the four guy. Or is it the situation where Jackson just needs to be the five? Because Goga is not good defensively. And everyone's like, oh my God, he blocked shots. Dude, he's seven. He's a seven foot white behemoth that just stands near the rim who is terrible against pick and rolls. And it doesn't matter if you can block a shot. Every year, James Harden, he, James Harden is one of the worst defenders in basketball. But every year he leads the team, it leads the league and steals are at least close to it. That blocks are not an indicator of a great defensive player. And Goga is terrible. It's inexcusable. We don't know what he is. He should have been fighting for a roster position and he's not because he's literally not here. I mean, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. What they need to do at the center position, pick one of them. I'm now inclined. I've seen enough from Jackson. I trade Turner. I get trade Goga. I get some wing help, a guy that can spread the floor like a Duarte type, try to get a young guy, take a chance on somebody and go from there. I would try to roll out with something like a Sabonis, uh, TJ Warren. I'd even be, I mean, I'd be okay with Duarte. You got Malcolm Brogdon. I would try to put out all of those dynamic wings with Sabonis and try to outpace people. That's what I would do at this point. Yeah. Well, you can't forget, we also have uh, another young potential player in O'Shea Brissett as well, who, you know, could certainly come off the bench and, you know, he plays the four, but he can also play the five as well. So he's another guy who can give you solid minutes off the bench. And he, oh, absolutely. you know, he proved it in actual NBA games this year. You know, the Pacers weren't very good and they had injuries. So he played a lot of minutes, but he proved, that he actually belonged out there. Something I feel like Goga hasn't done in his, what is it? Two seasons. And it just seems like this is a, I don't know. Maybe is it TJ leaf esque? I don't know. Is he, is he as bad as TJ leaf? I mean, a lot of people, uh, yeah. I mean, I might just be exaggerating just because I'm just not a big Goga guy. So I'm probably exaggerating. TJ leaf is definitely worse but I mean, you have to be out there for summer league. He first said it was the injury, then the personal issues. If there really, really, really was something wrong, then obviously taking back everything that was said and, um, you know, got to do what you got to do. But as you said, he was posting all these pictures like he was on vacation. So it's like, what is he really doing? And that was the same day the Pacers had a game. Yeah. Maybe he's Robert so, Test 2.0. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's like, I, go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you can go ahead. I wasn't really making a point. I've already made my point. No, I think you hit I think you hit the nail on the head with Brissett. And I, I would have loved – that's the whole thing. Like, you have to see who can play well together. It was a great opportunity for Brissett and Goga, Jackson – to see what makes work for the future. Like those are some guys I think could be rotational guys. I don't think they're starters on a championship level team, but I think that 
if you could get one or two of those guys to work out that you're saving a shit ton of money, a on the contract and B you're saving money. Cause you're going to be able to get rid of those guys that are getting paid 15, 16, 17, $20 million a year. So it, it was a big opportunity that I feel like Goga kind of squandered again, if his dad passed away, obviously he's going to do his own thing. But when you make it seem like it's a vacation, it's just not a good look. Yeah. It doesn't look good. And speaking of Ron Artest, I guess we could close it up with, that untold story documentary. If you guys would like to, if not, that's fine with me. Cause it's very sad, but I do. I do want to make, I do want to close with that, but I do want to make one more point uh, okay. or one more topic here real quick. This won't take long is the Pacers had lifted that quali- qualifying offer off Cassius Stanley. So uh, I'm not sure what's going to end up with him and his status, but rumor has it that they're in the market for getting a third point guard on the roster. Um, Mm. So, you know, there's a decent chunk of, you know, available third string point guards still on the market that would probably sign for the minimum, somebody that they could be able to afford. Another option that I've seen is, you know, uh, Rondo was just dealt to the Grizzlies. Maybe they try to, you know, call Memphis and see what it takes to get him. I don't know how that would shake out in the locker room, but um, I, I do think, you know, I do think this roster needs a third point guard. People will say Edmund Sumner, you know, technically is a third point guard. Um, I mean, just so many options here, like Sumner, I forgot about. So it's like, I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think they're going to get like a veteran point guard to bring in? Um, What do you think they should do with this final roster spot? Because you got to remember Malcolm Brogdon and his injury history. You're going to have to have somebody there. I feel like you're going to have to have a a third reliable point guard on this roster. Yeah. You took the words right out of my mouth, the injuries and, you know, McConnell for what he is, you know, he's also not a great shooter, but he brings everything else. So I think, uh, you're definitely looking for another guy. And if Rondo's the guy, I don't hate Rondo at all. You know, he seems to be a positive influence on every locker room he's in and he's a a hardworking guy. So I think that'd be pretty interesting. I don't know how realistic that is, but I agree. I definitely think they need to make, so what's the qualifying offer on Stanley? What's that mean that he, and he can sign with any other team now because he did play another game after that. So I didn't really know hundred percent what that was about. Yeah, I'm not sure the specifics of the qualifying offer. I do know. I think it. I think it. He had like a two way, a two way deal or something. Um, so pretty much, I think at this point he is free to sign with any team, or maybe the Pacers still have a chance to re-sign him. I'm not sure how that all works, but if they were going to keep him, it sounds like they would have kept that offer out there. And plus, I believe he was on a two-way deal, so I'm not sure the specifics on that. But it just seems like they're not going to keep him at this point, and he'll probably go elsewhere. Yeah, and but just... he was already he was already on the summer league roster, so he was going to finish out no matter what happened with the Pacers. Yeah, that's fine with me. I don't think we're losing much with Stanley, if we're being honest. Maybe he's a long-term project, but right yeah, now, yeah, there's. I mean, he was a a late second round pick. Yeah. Um, you, you're just kind of just, you know, taking a swing there and seeing what happens. Maybe he could eventually be a solid rotational piece. I don't think he's ever going to be a star. I don't think he's going to be a starter in this league, but he could end up, I mean, we've had, you know, some late second round picks that worked, uh, 
George Niang, I mean, as one, he was the late round ones and he eventually developed to be a, you know, a second string guy. So I don't know, maybe he can end up like that, but, but certainly they won't lose any sleep by losing him. No. Jake, you I, think, I know we kind of got off there, but yeah, we need a starting point guard. Like, I don't think Brogdon's worth it. I mean, he's just really, he's, I'm mellowed out on him. I think, what he could have been and what he is are just two very different things. I don't think he's developed. I think his athleticism has gotten worse as the injuries have mounted. I, I mean, I love TJ McConnell. I do. But I think when push comes to shove, he just outworks everybody. And on a random night, and I said this earlier, and I know it's not super popular among you two guys in terms of an opinion, but it's a random night in December. It's December 14th. And you know, Trey Young's going for a loose ball and TJ McConnell's going for a loose ball. TJ McConnell's going hundred percent. Trey Young's going 65 and he looks great when it's time to actually make shots and play big boy minutes in the playoffs, which is what I I'm kind of worried about. I just don't see it for $8 million. Now, when we were, when he was doing it, you know, for cheap on two or $3 million contracts, that's one thing, but now you're basically saying like, this is our backup point guard and he is the backup point guard to one of the probably worst 10 starting point guards in the league in Brogdon, especially given the contract. So um, I just have some problems with it. I don't hate McConnell as a player and I, I loved him at 3 million, loved him at 2 million. I don't love him at eight, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, getting a veteran like Rondo makes sense. Yep. That's just my opinion. And I know I, I do like TJ McConnell. I don't want to rag on him. I think we all know that he has, I mean, he shoots, he literally shoots the ball like a sixth grade boy. Like they can't <laughs> get it up there. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm being legitimate. His shooting form, he shoots it with two hands. Yeah. He literally shoots it like my mother because she is, does not have the strength to get it up there. Now he's obviously dude, hustler, playmaker with the ball. I love all of those things. And maybe he would have gotten, $8 million elsewhere and we wanted to keep him. I get it because of the leadership. I'm, I, I don't want to harp on it and complain. The $8 million looks worse because you're paying Brogdon like 20 and Brogdon has just not lived up to it. And I know we were super happy. Hand up. I was wrong on Brogdon. I still would rather have him than Ricky Rubio, but I think the point guard position is a lot more in flux possibly than we thought, which if you, if you think back to what Pritchard said, Duarte could see point guard minutes. That makes a lot of sense to me given our point guard situation. Yep. All right, Hawk, you brought it up. Do you want to dive in? No, I just think, you know, it was on Netflix. It was, you know, kind of the Twitter moment for Pacers Nation this, this past couple weeks. So didn't really learn a lot of new stuff. I just liked how the documentary, they basically just blamed the Pistons fans the whole time, which I was cool with. And they went into the little bit of, you know, how each guy, Artest, Jackson, O'Neal, you know, kind of – how tough they were and a little bit into their upbringing. And I think if you watch a quiet storm on, I think it was Showtime, that documentary they did on real on our test. If you're more interested, you know, that I remember we talked about that like a year or two ago and that shows more of our test upbringing. It's a little more interesting if you really want to know more about that stuff. But for me, every time Reggie Miller talked, you know, it was a tearjerker and, and Jermaine O'Neal too. Jermaine O'Neal gained a lot of respect from people I feel like, which was, which was good to see. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I uh, I watched it the day it came out, and 
it was, you know, like you said, it's not like you learned much really of anything else. Of course, they said they had some new camera footage and things like that. But for people who, you know, for all these years thought that, you know, and you saw it on like the news channels, like calling them thugs and everything, like the narrative that was just completely transitioned around. You know, I never thought that of those guys. Um, you know, I always do our test was, you know, he was an idiot, but he was just misunderstood. You know, he's a lovable guy, but you know, he's obviously nuts. Um, so, you know, like I knew like from watching these guys, I just knew what kind of guys they were, you know, players they were and, you know, people who, you know, were, weren't really even watching the NBA. Then they would just see this, these guys in the stands beating up people and they just automatically think, well, those guys are pieces of shit which in reality, they didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, that's what the documentary did was just frame all that blame on, you know, the security staff and, and all those fans because there's no way it should have ever gotten to that point to where, uh, you know, you got security guys. I, I don't even know where they were in the vicinity of everything, but, like, literally fans just walking on the court and, like, getting in a fight. Like, how does that happen? These two two motherfuckers just walk out on the court and they just decide like, Oh yeah, I'm going to fight you. And like, what is Ron Artest supposed to do? A guy comes up to him, you know, and just shows his fist. Like he's just supposed to stand there. Of course he's going to fight his ass. And like, what does that guy expect? Like Ron Artest not to fight him. Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. Um, you know, it obviously it all started with Ben Wallace and, and his, you know, his bullshit. He got, you know, he was a little baby about the foul, which Ron probably shouldn't have done. The starter shouldn't have been in the game. I understand this. He was a little baby about it, kept kept going, kept nagging. And then from there, you know, the fans seeing him, you know, acting crazy over this stupid foul in November and, and just not letting it go, you know, that fueled them to get even crazier. Dumbass throws the drink. Ron goes up there and then, you know, all is said and done. But like, Literally, like, I was just so mad. Once again, it opened up old wounds, but it's like I've always felt that way. I didn't have to have the narrative switch to where I didn't blame the Pacers because I never blamed them. I always blamed the the fans, and I always blamed the security staff and Ben Wallace. That's who I blame. And, you know, Detroit, we have friends from Detroit who have a Detroit podcast. Fuck Detroit. Fuck Detroit. That's what I'm going to say right now. Fuck the fans. I hope they never win another championship again yes. in any in any sport. In any sport. I don't not no sports, not even college sports. Not no even women's roller hockey. Can because I'm so that, Can we agree that Jalen Green is better than Cade Cunningham simply because of the jersey he's yes. wears? Agreed. Yeah, it's just and it's just it's it, it was maddening and uh yeah that's my point and even like the, the funniest part of the documentary was you know and i had forgot about this reggie miller's on the court and these two dopes come at him like he's you know these these two cops who are obviously you know like these racist bas bastards they just you know see reggie miller on the court like all these other people are just you know doing dumb shit like those two guys just walk on the court we don't stop them but reggie miller you know, they come and get him and they're like, they don't know who Reggie Miller is. Like, come on, you dumbass. Like, he's like six, seven. Like, of course he's on the Pacers. Even if you don't know who Reggie Miller is, it's just like, and he's in a suit. He's not wearing Pistons gear. Anyways, it pissed me off. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm not fully on the bandwagon that the Pacers would have won the title that year because I do think, you know, with all those emotions and they weren't very mature, something would have derailed it at some point. But that team was damn good. They were going places and the city of Detroit just really screwed that up. And I'm not saying the Pacers didn't screw up at all. That's not what I'm trying to say. They obviously should have held their composure. So, yeah, that's that's all my thoughts on that. Um, I do want to say before, I, and I'm not trying to change subjects here because I want you guys to give the rest of your thoughts, but I get on Facebook and I keep seeing these uh, these ads, these sponsored ads by the Indy Star or whatever. It's Greg Doyle and his dog, and it's literally just blowing up my feed. I just want to put it on the record right now. I will never subscribe to the Indy Star. The Indy Star is hot garbage. I wouldn't pay one penny for five years of the Indy Star. So let me just say that right now. Um, Greg Doyle, quit paying for ads. You're just losing money by doing that. I don't want to read your articles, your hot takes, your clickbait. I don't want to see it. That's all I got to say. I'm tired of seeing you on my Facebook. Get off of my Facebook. All right, back to the brawl. Dick. Okay, I I'm I'm not kidding. I did not do well with this, and I think you know, I, Hawk, you're off and on in the group chat, you know, with the friends and stuff. But I literally found myself so uncomfortable watching it that I would watch it like ten or fifteen minutes at a time. Like I couldn't just watch the whole thing through. Like I felt, I just felt uncomfortable because it was such a, you know, such a. You know, Chris and I were so into the freaking Pacers at that time. Like, that was, like, what we did. It's what we talked about. I And, like, it was, like, life or death. And that – it literally just makes me sick to my stomach watching it and thinking about it and just knowing what, knowing what was going to happen. Um, my initial thought is, like, th- honestly, the security at the Palace, the Pacers should have sued them for every fucking penny they had. They should have. Because they, I mean, they let the fans from the top, everybody knows the fans at the very top are the drunkest. They didn't pay, they don't have the money. They're not used to being around rich people. And then you let them get close to the court in a game like that. So that amped it up. You know, Jamal Tinsley's an idiot. Uh, To be honest with you, Donnie Walsh, whoever you want to give credit to for putting together that team, they were, that, that was just so dumb bringing in Steven Jackson. I mean, you want a little crazy on your team. And I think somebody said that, like, it's okay to have Ron Artest because you got Reggie Miller there. You got Jermaine O'Neal there. You have like, you know, you have all of these, like even Scott Pollard was like chill on that team. Like he was like, hold it down. But when you add that level of crazy in Steven Jackson, like that was like over the top and something was going to happen. Chris said it earlier. Something was going to happen to that team that wasn't going to allow us to win a championship. And there was just so much that went into it in the build up to that moment. And then I think Jermaine basically said like, you guys don't, under, you know, people don't understand, like we're all friends. Like we don't like each other on the court, but like we're friends. We hang out, we talk, we, you know what I mean? Like Ben Wallace is cool with, you know, Jermaine O'Neal. But the, when you see all these fans that aren't used to being around the rich and famous people that have come down from the upper deck, they're all liquored up, saw an opportunity to throw a beer on somebody and then letting the fans on the court. There was just so many things. The city of Detroit is, it's a hellhole, dude. It's a pit. I've never been there. I, I honestly, I'd never want to go to Detroit, which really sucks for me because like 
You guys know I'm trying to go to every single baseball stadium in America. I've been to 18 and I haven't been to Detroit. It's literally three hours away. Like, I just don't want to go. Like, I just, I hate everything about it. Their fans were so smug back then. Oh, we knew we were going to win. It was just by how much. Like, what are you talking about, dude? You guys average like 60 points a game. You guys just beat the shit out of people. They didn't call fouls. Like, that happened for three years. As soon as they started calling fouls and hand checks, they literally went away, fell off into the abyss and was nothing. So, like, I guess my takeaway was even even when it happened, like the acquisition of Steven Jackson was like, oh, shit, like this isn't going to go well. And then like all of the crazy weird shit that went into it, like it's pretty clear why it happened. And then the funny still the funniest part to me of the whole thing is like you add all of these crazy motherfuckers. Right. In our test and you add Steven Jackson and Jamal Tinsley obviously had his issues and you add all of these weird people. Scott Pollard's weird. He's not like crazy, but he's a weird Harrison. David Harrison. We love David Harrison. He definitely was probably bringing a lot more chill. If you was on the court, remember? Yeah, he was. But that's what I'm saying. Like it was such a hodgepodge of bullshit just trying to win. And then their answer to it was like, let's get all of the white guys possible. Like we need Dunleavy. We need Troy Murphy. You know, we need Peja. We got to really whiten this crowd up because like, we don't want thugs like that. They just went from one extreme to the other. And it really cost the team, you know, five, six real relevant years. And then we were so middling because they were all like Dunleavy would go balls out the whole time. So we wouldn't lose enough to get a great draft pick. And we just lived in that kind of area we're in now where we're just not good enough to really compete, but we're also not bad enough to just get a great player. So I think the culmination of everything and seeing everybody talk about all the moves that were made and how they viewed each other, it all made sense why it happened to me. But I still hate the city of Detroit. I hate the Schroeders. I hate everything about them. I hate the Palace. When I eventually have to go to a Tigers game, I need to do that soon because they're such fair weather fans that they they don't go to baseball games because Tigers suck now. So I need to go before they're good. They're they're obnoxious. So that's how I feel. Um, Hawk, I'm definitely interested to see how you feel about it. Yeah, I've been to Comerica Park, and it's basically just a toilet in the ground. It's just a huge toilet, and then just people just sit in there in the toilet <laughs> water and just bake in the sun. It's an awful place. Oh, um, I can't I've wait. been to Detroit for to visit a friend once. We didn't do anything exciting. It sucked. I was miserable the whole time. Never go to Detroit. Stay as far away as possible. Eminem even fucking hates it. That should tell you something. <laughs> but, I mean, I think the funny thing to me was Mark Boyle tweeted, the day, next day that it wasn't the first time somebody had thrown something at Ron Artest. It happened two times before, which was, which was pretty funny to me. And uh, I'm trying to think what else, just because, you know, a lot of these stories we've heard so many times, like when Ron Artest gets in the locker room and asks, do you think we're going to get in trouble for this? I mean, every time I hear that, it's just the most ridiculous comment I've ever heard, but it makes me laugh because it's just Ron being Ron. And it's nice to see those scumbags in Detroit get a little blame for this is, is what I took away from it. And hopefully they keep doing those on Netflix because it's, you know, it's similar to 30 for 30 and, you know, they gave a different perspective than the narrative, which I always like. Last but not least on that, I will say David Stern's a prick. Uh, yeah. He definitely overreacted on those suspensions. Uh, he uh, was watching the news, how they were framing it the entire time, based it off of that rather than, you know, looking at, you know, real, security footage you know probably interviewing people that were actually there and saw how much of a mess it was 
Um, he overreacted. And uh, that's all I got to say. Giving, you know, our test the whole season, you know, too much. Uh, you know, 30 games for Steven Jackson. Jermaine O'Neal got 25. They got reduced. Uh, and then Ben Wallace got three games and he, you know, started the whole thing and kept egging it on. So uh, David Stern, I, you know, you may be gone from this world now, but I still hate you. Do you think he's in heaven or in hell, Chris? He's somewhere in between. He's got to be a ghost. Just haunting yeah, the NBA. Yeah. You think he, he hangs out with Roger Goodell? He's he's still <laughs> he's still lurking the earth as a ghost. Like it's like one of those like movies where they you you know they have to do something good uh, to redeem themselves before they, they go can't. to heaven. So he's like got to do something good before he's allowed up in the pearly gates. So he's kind of just stuck in a purgatory here, just roaming the earth until he gets to that point. That's that's what I imagine. Um, and he's he's a real prick, so he probably will never get to that point. He'll probably just be roaming the earth for the rest of his life. If you want to hear about the second most exciting game in Pacers history, that next game, I think they played the Magic when Eddie Gill played all those minutes. I go was back there. And listen, go back and listen to our uh, Eddie Gill podcast. It'll blow your socks off. My grandpa jumped all over the opportunity to go to that game because I'm pretty sure we sat like midway up in the club level, like right at midcourt for like 12 bucks each. And my grandpa for sure thought he was just convinced Reggie Miller was going to go and play that game. Like he was just convinced that the the broken finger was just going to be completely okay. Like it didn't work out. Yeah, it was not. Um, that's all John I got. Edwards, bud. Uh, we got Tory Craig. We didn't mention that Tory Craig in the house now. So uh, woohoo on that. Uh, played for the Phoenix Suns last year. Good defender. Another wing player. A lot of depth at this wing play position. Gonna have to get rid of somebody. Um, and get rid of a center. I mean, you got four of them on the roster. It's it's time to let one of them go. So yep. That's all I got. Does anybody else have anything before they we wrap this up? Anything you – any message for Greg Doyle from the star? No. You know, the, the one thing I liked about Greg Doyle was like his high school local articles. But other than that, I really can't stand him. Yeah. I'm not much of a media guy myself. I hate the Cleveland media. I hate indie media. I hate the freaking Cubs media. I just think they're all pandering assholes. And like you said, they go straight to hell with the, uh, with the uh, commercials and shit. I think it's ridiculous and – like, it's over, dude. Just stop making me. I will pay you to st- never ask me to pay you again. It's pretty well, simple. It's like, does, any, does anybody, like, do you guys pay for, like, those type? Like, I guess I'm getting off a tangent here, but, like, do you pay for reading articles? Not only do I never, ever have I ever paid for that, I've just gotten to a point where I have, like, seven streaming services on my Fire TV None of them are mine. So right now I am in the golden age of television for myself and I'm not paying for shit. It's been incredible. Well, the other thing I do want to say is like, I've saw someone, even though like I see people who I saw this on RG three, Robert Griffin, the third, I saw this on his Twitter page. You know how like people can now accept money for their tweets. Like they think that you should pay them or tip them. Yeah, they think you should tip them for their tweets. So, like, RG3 has this, like, logo where you, if you click the button, you can, like, Venmo him money. And I'm like, this dude's a millionaire. 
just tweeting out some of the dumbest shit and he thinks that I'm going to give him a $5 donation. Like I like you have millions of dollars. You had all of these like sponsors during your, you know, short lived, you know, career where you were good. I mean, obviously he was still playing, but like that time frame, he was still good. So he's got all this money and he's accepting tips on Twitter. Like anybody would pay to see RG three's tweets. And he's not the only one who does that. Like, even like, I even saw like people saying like, would you pay money to listen to a podcast? There is not any podcast in this world. Like, and there's no diehard born ready fans out there. You know, we, we come around once a month or once every couple of months, if you would pay to listen to this podcast, I mean, no, like you can't, there's no podcast in the world. I would pay money to listen to. I'm just going to die on the hill. Tommy huh? G. Tommy G. No, I certainly would not pay to listen to Tommy G. <laughs> Listen, um, I'm going to make this declaration to our listeners right now. You will never have to pay for a tweet from us or a podcast episode from us, but take that with a grain of salt. Cause my word isn't always, you know, ironclad. <laughs> well, it's just like these, it's just these dumbest things. Like people just think they can, you know, like, I don't know, like, why would I pay like RG three that just rubbed me the wrong way. Like RG three asking for money for tweets. I mean, like why, what, what, what does he need of me to Venmo him for? Like, shouldn't RG3 be Venmoing people like his millions? Yeah, if like, he wants money, he's got to make an OnlyFans. That's the only way it works. Yeah, yeah I was going like, to say, maybe we should make an OnlyFans account. Board a to pod only. <laughs> I'm not sure. What would we feature would on it? What'd you say? Would we, would we feature ourselves nude or would we go a different route? I think, I, I think feet probably number one. I think we yeah. got to really go with the feet. Naturally. We each have to have our own little thing. I mean, I think I have some great chicken legs. I think that could be hot on the market. What do you guys have to offer? You know, I think my lower back is deceptively nice. If I get like a good position where I'm like almost 90 degrees. In like the really angle, popping that ass. Yeah, exactly. Throw a G-string on, banana hammock. <laughs> Cook, what do you have to offer? Uh, thick thighs. Oh, so okay, there you go. So lower back, chicken legs, and thick thighs. And feet. Feet are free. And feet. I'm always ready for feet. Ready for a feet pick for sure. So size 13 go. and smelly if you're interested. Yeah, so on that note, I'm going to wrap the podcast up. Um, <laughs> don't go pay RG3 money on Twitter. I mean, he's got to have only made – so uh, you know there's idiots who paid him. So maybe he's made like – it's got to be under a thousand dollars that he's made off that. I just want to say you're a fraud RG three. I will never send you a penny. Um, go F yourself. That's all I got to say. I but, like it. Uh, I said any better myself. Agreed. All right. I'm done. This is going to wrap up this episode. No structure to it all. We kind of just went off the cuff there. So uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I don't know when you'll hear from us again, but you'll hear from us again at some point. Uh, shout out to Coach Light's biggest fan, always in the mentions. Can't remember his name, but he loves him. So got to give him a shout out. We're talking about Aaron? Yeah, that guy. He's my boy. It's because he knows, he knows good commentary when he hears it. So respect the hell out of Aaron. So that's all I got to say. See you guys later. Have a good later. rest of your week. Peace, love, be with you.